See, before I pray, let me, um, let me acknowledge something and then I'll, I'll pray. Um, you know, this morning is Mother's Day. We want to celebrate our moms in here. We praise God for you, mothers. It's okay to clap for mothers, y'all. It's okay. We can clap for the mothers. You know, um, but the, I want to acknowledge this. This isn't a happy day for everybody. And so just like most holidays, um, a lot of us have life on holidays, if you know what I'm saying. Um, some of us experience tragedies on holidays. Some of us, I already turned that off, bro. Um, this one too, I cut, it, I cut them both. Um, some of us aspire to be moms and aren't able to be. Um, and that's real and that's hard. And for some people, this isn't a celebratory day. This is a day of groaning and rem maybe remembrance of what you don't have or what you can't have or, or something of that nature. And so for those of you who are aspiring moms, those of you who um, this is a hard day for, but those of you who are unable maybe to even have children, that's some of us here, right? That's some people. Um, I, wanna, I wanna acknowledge you and I wanna remind you that your worth is not in your abilities or inabilities to have a child or to be a mom. Um, I want to remind you that even if you experience a tragedy on this day, that God's love for you is real and it's still palpable. Um, even in my own family, Mother's Day is sweet and it's sorrowful because we have a tragedy in our family on that day. And so I want to acknowledge that at the forefront and pray to that end. Not that we don't celebrate moms, we praise God for moms, but we remember the other side of that coin that can be hard and scary and hurtful for some of us. And so can, can, can y'all just join me as I acknowledge both of these realities and try to hold them in the tension that they are in prayer. Father, thank you for the blessing of parenthood and motherhood. I know I wouldn't be, I'd be all messed up if it wasn't for my mother. I saw what sacrificial love looked like in real life from a mother who worked two jobs to sustain my sister and I. There are mothers in this room who give their all for their children. There's mothers in this room who, though they give their all, they're well aware of their shortcomings as mothers, and that's a real struggle for them. Lord, those in this room who have tried to be mothers over and over again, and just, this hasn't happened. Maybe they're wondering why. Maybe they're, they're wrestling with the goodness, with your goodness. And there are some in this room who Maybe it's just still single and they're just looking for the right person that one day maybe they would be able to hold the title of, of mother. Lord, your people and your body is so diverse and it's so broad and we are at so many different stages. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, the comforter would comfort those who need comfort. That we as the people of God would love those who need to be loved in this, in this day, in this hour. That we would celebrate those whom we, we want to celebrate today but that we are mindful. We are mindful not to step on the plight of some in order to celebrate others. And so, Lord, I, I ask and I thank you. I ask, one, that you would bless our morning, bless the preaching of your word, bless, bless the, the, the hearts of the saints as they sit. And I thank you for allowing us to gather, to remember this day, and to honor the ladies, the, the, the mothers, the women, among us. This world is a better place because of them. 
You knew we needed them. Here they are. Let me give you all the praise for them. From Eve till now, Lord, we give you praise for the ladies in our lives, whether they be mothers or aunties, wives or daughters. We give you praise, praise for them. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Be glorified today and do this word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for allowing me the time to do that. Pastor Canaan, Pillar Church, welcome. Glad y'all are here. Man, we are continuing in the book of Galatians, y'all. So go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. Um, we're, not, we're not doing a special Mother's Day sermon, just like sometimes we don't do special Christmas sermons. So we're doing uh, the special Galatians sermon. So go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 3. And last week, I ran over a text quickly, and I said we're going to get back to that next week. Well, this is next week. So let me first just run through that portion that we didn't explain last week, and then we'll get into what this week's text is. I'm going to try to keep this sermon under two hours for y'all. If y'all didn't catch that, ooh. This was, this was the passage we, we exposited last week in, in the section that I said we, we got, we're going to get back to that next week. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions, Galatians 3, verse 19 and 20. It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. We know and we've seen that seed is Jesus. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. And the mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. That was the section that I was like, guys, that those verses don't impact the, the overall meaning of the passage. But, you know, us at Pillar, we ain't trying to skip nothing. And so I got to come back to it. So let's let's try to. And it's really not this top part. It's really this part. The law was put into effect through angels, through a mediator. Now the mediator is just one. Uh, a mediator is not just for one alone, but God is is one. Let's first just talk about this angel business, because when we talk about this is when God gave the law, the law that the Ten Commandments and the 600, uh, 610 or 600 plus laws to the people of Israel, um, handed the Ten Commandments down through Moses as he wrote them on on tablets. It says the law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, in the book of Exodus, from verse from chapter 19 through chapter 24, we see God giving his law to the people of Israel. Okay, doing, he's, he, that's where he's giving it. Nowhere in Exodus 19 through 24 do we see angels having anything to do with God and Moses' interaction. And so we read this passage and we're like, Paul, what you talking about? Where do these angels come from? Beloved, the lack of mentioning angels doesn't necessarily negate the possibility that angels were present. There's a concept that we see in Scripture. In fact, you'll see it the most when you read the Gospels and you compare the same text to each other. It's called conversational emphasis. I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with almost all of you. And if I share that conversation, yeah, I, I go to my wife, hey, I had a talk with so-and-so. That doesn't mean that there were no kids grabbing our legs, even though I don't mention kids grabbing my legs. You see how the children can be present, yet they're never mentioned in the, in the conversation because that's not the emphasis or the point of what it is I'm trying to communicate to the person I'm speaking to. We see the same thing in the, in the Gospels. We'll see in one narrative of the Gospels, it's, you know, one apostle talking to one person. You'll see in another of the Gospels, maybe it says that in Matthew, but in Luke, it says there were two people. One of the people had nothing to do with the conversation, though. And so the gospel author only really talks about and names those two 
to whom the emphasis was put on. Okay, it's conversational emphasis. We see this in the Gospels. Even though Moses didn't write about angels in Exodus, it's funny, the New Testament authors also say something similar outside of just this one passage. Stephen the deacon says something similar to this. Let's see if it shows up. Hit me, hit me, Jim. I'm going to be calling you out if this don't work. You got me? You good? Okay. Stephen the deacon says this. He, which is Moses, is the one who, who was, oh, dang. It was that delay. Okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to touch this. I'm going to roll on you. I'm, I'm, hit me. Okay, ready? Not yet, not yet. He, that's Moses, is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. Now, I'm not going to get into angels, angels and the angel of the Lord. There's some nuances there. This could be either. However, the, the Stephen the deacon who was chosen um, um, by the congregation there in, uh, in Jerusalem, as he's giving this big sermon, this big discourse on salvation history, this dude's a beast, Stephen's a monster. He's given this big overview of salvation history, and he alludes to some angel where at Mount Sinai, that's where God and Moses had their interaction, where he gave him that law. He says there was an angel there, and that's where we received our living oracles where God gave to us. So he mentions it there, but then he says it again, hit me, in, in chapter 7, verse 53. He says, you received the law under the direction of angels, and yet have not kept it. That's pretty clear that Stephen, at least, one of the New Testament cats, knows and thinks and says that there were angels present when Moses received the law. The author of Hebrews, hit me. Author of Hebrews says something similar. He says, for if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, that's covenant language in those, in those statements. He says that they were legally binding and that there were transgressions. You remember last week when I gave you the nuanced definitions of sin, transgression, and inequity? How they're different and we should actually honor some of the differences? Sin is a general term of missing the mark. Transgression is breaking an, ex an, an explicit law. Iniquity is committing a sin or breaking a law with having no desire to repent, right? There, there's nuance to those. When you say that somebody transgressed, it means that there was a law given. And so this is automatically became covenant relational language in terms of how people interact and how God and people interact. He says they, um, the message was spoken through angels and it was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. And then he continues on. Actually, I'm going to read that because that's banging. He says, how will we escape then? How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That salvation comes in the person of Christ. It says, this salvation has its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Not only did the New Testament authors, guys, uh, speak of these potential angels being present when God gave the law, but we also see it in the psalmists. Uh, King David says this in Psalm 68. Yeah, there you go. You better than me, man. It says God's chariots. Now, in some translations, it's God's angels. And when you do some of the grammatical work, it seems he's speaking about like warrior type angel type of language. Are tens of thousands, thousands and thousands. The Lord is among them in the sanctuary as he was at where? 
Sinai. Where's Sinai? Where God gave the law. Sinai is almost always represented in that way. And then we see Moses allude to it again a little bit later in Deuteronomy. 33, 1 and 2. It says, this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave to the Israelites before his death. Listen to what his, his blessing was. He says, he said, the Lord came from Sinai and appeared to them before Seir. He shone on them at Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000 holy ones with lightning from his right hand for them. Now, I'm not sure in the original languages if that coming with 10,000 ones pertains to all of those instances in which God appears, uh, but it seems grammatically that it would apply to all that comes before. And so um, there's a similar thing when it comes to the deity of Christ called the Granville Sharp Rule, but I'll give you that when we get to those passages. But essentially, that coming with 10,000s and the lightning from his right hand can probably uh, apply to him being at, at Mount Perrin, at Seir, and at Sinai. Go back to our text, bro. Galatians 3. It's in, it should be the next one. There we go. So the text, it's, it says, I didn't turn this off. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through, put into effect through angels. So we kind of see now the scriptures do have some testament that there was probably angels there. Now, beloved, don't ever argue if there was or wasn't. It doesn't, it's not changing anything. Okay? But it seems that the test, to be, to be honest, it seems a text like there was angels chilling, doing something there by means of a mediator. Now, who's this mediator? A medi- what is a mediator? A mediator is a go-between between two different parties. The mediator spoken of contextually here is Moses. He's the mediator. He's the one that goes between God and the people. If you remember, God's on top of Mount Sinai. He, who's he calling? Yo, Moses, come up here. I got to talk to you. He goes up. He does a little thing with Moses. Moses comes back down and communicates what God said. He's acting in a role in between God and the people of God. But that was the old covenant in which Moses was a mediator. We are actually don't live under the old covenant anymore. We actually live under something called the new covenant now. Give me a hit. First, first Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and now there is only one mediator between God and man. Beloved, you don't need any other individual in between you and God to communicate to God. If you have a belief system that, mean, that, that, that says that in order for you to have communication with God, then you need to go to a special anointed somebody in order to get to him. Beloved, that is false truth. There is one God and there's one mediator, and it's none of us. It is the man, Christ Jesus, who is now our go-between between the holiness of who God is and the sinfulness of who we are. We can approach God through our mediator, Jesus Christ. This new covenant comes with a new law. It's called the law of Christ, which we'll get into in a few chapters. Stop, don't get me hit yet. I want to see how I want, how I want for now this. So that kind of answers some of that. Go back. Oh, go backwards. That's what I want. Just stop. stop. Wait, wait, go, go back. Go back. Here we go. Okay. I just want y'all to notice something. This, yo, I love, I love the Bible. I'm sorry. It just I see stuff and I'm like, yo, we got to show them that. Notice something in the passage. The New Testament authors, though they teach something called a trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they dogmatically proclaim that there is only one God, not multiple gods. Notice, 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 there is how many gods? 
one God. Now, Jim, go backwards to Galatians 3. There is one, there is, by means of mediator, now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Y'all ready for this? I don't even know why Paul's saying that so much. That, that's my big boom. But I wanted y'all to take notice of that. And if y'all have a connection, holla at me, let me know. I don't, if I don't know, I don't know, beloved. It's just what it is. But there's some kind of connection there because he says it twice. There's something there. I don't know. Uh, okay. Now today's passage. Go to Galatians. Go to the next one. Galatians 3.27. Okay. I took that time. I had to do it. I had to go into it. There's more there. We'll get there. But I want to get into today's passage. Today's passage is going to remind us of this. That you, beloved, are God's people. I need you all to hear that and remember that those of you who have faith in Jesus are God's people. If anyone tells you different, they are lying. And there is no distinction between God's people because you are God's people by faith. Black, white, green, yellow, uh, purple, blue, name it. Six feet tall, two feet tall. 700 pounds, 200 pounds, 100 pounds. The distinction between God's people is superficial only. You are all his children if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our passage is going to push that on you. Not me, the passage will. Galatians 3.27, it says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Is that up there? Good. Now, the, the first question we have when we look at a verse like this is, What is it talking about when it says we're baptized into Christ? And what is it talking about when it says we're clothed with Christ? When you look at passages like this, ask the the text the questions. What what, what does that mean? In the New Testament, baptism, the word means to dip or to plunge, to, to go under, is used in several different ways. The most common way that we use baptism is we're talking about water baptism, right? And we see this at churches when you dip them in the water, pull them back out. That's baptism, okay? But then there's also something called spiritual baptism. This takes place at the moment of your salvation once you have given yourself by grace through faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now covered, dipped into the blood of Jesus. Now, the beautiful, now baptism's used in other ways. It talks about you've been baptized uh, unto wrath and all kind of other things. We talk about you've been submerged in something. But in any sense, when you hear the word baptism, it is usually teaching us the same truth. It's pointing us or having to do with our unification with Jesus. Okay, our water baptism is our outward expression of our belonging to Jesus, right? Our spiritual baptism is the inward substance of belonging to Jesus. Y'all see that? They're both pointing to the same thing. Now, beloved, you can't have the expression unless you have the substance. You understand that? If you don't have the substance, you'll never have the true expression of that. Here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, baptism into Christ is actually synonymous with having faith in Jesus. Okay, that's what it's talking about. Now, remember the context of the book of Galatians. There are false teachers. They're saying that in order for you to be God's children, you have to be circumcised and you have to obey the law. Essentially, you have to convert to Judaism before you can be a follower of Jesus. That's what they're teaching. Paul's not replacing one form of human methodology to be saved for another. He's not saying, well, you used to have to be circumcised to be God's children. Now you have to be baptized to be God's children. That's not what he's saying there. He's not taking one human 
method and replacing it with another human method. That's, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's doing there. Paul is, saying that, Paul is saying that if you have been baptized spiritually, which means if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you'll subsequently be clothed with Christ. What does it mean to be clothed with Christ? It means that you are ever growing in Christ-likeness. Beloved, when, when you have had an encounter with the living God, you are not the same. Can't be. You ever heard the story of the preacher that came late? Some, y'all ever heard that? There's a preacher, guest preacher, is going to come to preach at the church. He said, bruh, I came, I'm sorry I'm going to be late. I got hit by a truck. Who's going to believe that, right? But who knows? So the, the pastor comes up, he says, guys, I'm sorry to give you the bad news, but the, our guest preacher's been hit by a truck. And then two minutes later, here he comes, oh, I'm here, I'm here. And he's pristine, looking good. Hairline still smooth, got the crease in his pants, got the jacket on smooth, ties on, got the triple trinity knot. Y'all know how to do trinity knot? Y'all don't know. Get on it. He's looking, he's looking smooth. He says, my bad, y'all. I got hit by a truck, but I'm here. Beloved, he, you can put two and two together. He ain't get hit by no truck. Because when you get hit by a truck, you look different. You look marmed. You look maimed. Beloved, if you have an encounter with the living God, yet there's nothing about you that's truly different from before the encounter, question whether or not you've had the encounter. Because maybe, perhaps, you're claiming the expression without the substance. If you've been baptized into Christ, you are now to look more and more like him, not as a means to earn his favor, but out of necessity of who you now are, because you've been transformed by him. You cannot encounter God and be the same. Does that mean you won't have tendencies from your old man? Sure you will, but you're fundamentally different. Look what the text says. Give me Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. Check this out. I no longer live. You're gone. You're different. You're changed. You're you, but it's like, what's up with you? That was what everybody told me. They were like, yo, it's okay. Yeah, after about a couple days, they were like, yo, it's good. You're different. I don't know. It's Jesus, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what to tell them, right? I no longer live. Who lives in me now? Christ is now living in me. That's what's different. And the the life, uh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's That's called a transformative truth. Just... Just, just this bottom part. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. How? Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Have you ever experienced love? If you have, it changed you a little bit, didn't it? Never heard of tangible, transformative love? Beloved, love hits different when you see the magnitude of it for you. When someone lived for you and died for you, it hits different. Beloved, we all know this, talk can be cheap. I can tell you I love you. You can tell you somebody you love them, but have you experienced sacrificial love from that person? Now, whether or not they tell you, you know. You relate different now, because you've experienced that love. That person has given for me, sacrificed for me. Hands have worked for me. People are changed when they experienced tangible love. That is, let me, let, me, let me say this. I wrote this down, I want to say it. 
this is, this is true transformative love. Love that is not based on a perceived return on investment. Honest, good love will always give you an ROI, but you don't give love in order to get an ROI. If you are dispensing, let's say the word care, to a person in hopes that they will return it unto you, you have a sinful version, a distorted version of love and care towards somebody else. Because you're looking to benefit yourself off the back, of, off the strength of you owe me. You are now, beloved, putting a burden on the person whom you are claiming to love. But God's love doesn't work that way. God's love, he's giving of himself to you to redeem you, knowing your bank account will never have the funds to give an ROI on his investment. But we are transformed and now we live striving day after day to glorify the one who we can never repay. Not because we can ever repay him, but because of a response of the love in which we've received. There's ROI even though there's no funds to fully pay it. Love can never be coupled with manipulation. Love is always a compulsion. When you receive it, there's always a compulsion for ROI when it's genuine, when it's real. When someone's loved you, you, you want to love them in response. You just want to. You may not even have it, but it's just a desire now. It's like, man, I can't believe you. And you don't have words. And if you could repay, you would kind of a feel. And the most freeing words of all is, I ain't do this for you. Give me nothing. This is, that's you. I'm good. Give me Romans. Romans 5, 6, and 8. It's one of my favorite verses. For while we were still and are still, that should be in there, helpless, at the right time, Christ died, insert your name, for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps. And maybe someone might even dare to die. But look at verse 8, beloved. But God proves. Somebody say tangible love. He ain't just say it. It's talking cheap, beloved. If you're experiencing hard times, this is what's going to hold you right here. If Mother's Day is a tragic day for you, this is going to hold you right here. It's not, beloved, that God has withheld his love from you. It's not that he doesn't care for you. You're going to experience hard times in this side of heaven. But God has proven his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, insufficient funds in your account, he still died for you. If you're ever questioning God's love, open your Bible to Romans 5, 8. Circle that mug, read it to yourself, and ask God to help you believe in the midst of your unbelief. God's demonstrating his love for us, proving his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Beloved, this faith that we have is a transforming faith. It transforms us, and we inevitably, because we've been baptized by the Spirit of God, we've been transformed by his work, now we are ever putting on the clothing, the Christ-likeness that comes along with that. We have a response of honor and love. Beloved, when you, have, when you have had an impact with the Lord Jesus, your affections have changed. Your thinking has changed. 
Your selfishness results in conviction. The way you love people change. Beloved, everything about you begins to get altered. Beloved, it doesn't mean you enter perfection. You still got to be jacked up with some things. But you feel transformation taking place. You feel a wrestle in your soul. You're no, that, that, that sin that used to easily entangle you, you have a, a fighting resistance to that now. You acknowledge it. You see it. You repent now. Well, before it was just you doing life. Now it's like, no, man, I'm trying to strive to be more like my Savior who gave himself for me, who died for me, all because you've had an encounter with the living God. That's the power of love. I know I used this example before, but we've all seen that troubled child who you bring him to school and he's troubled. And what do you tell him? Johnny, sit down. Be quiet. I'm telling you, right? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help you, Johnny. Sit down and be quiet. He goes home. His grades are bad, so his parents get on him. Johnny, you got to get your grades up, all this kind of stuff. Man, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. But when Johnny goes to grandma's house, it doesn't matter what Johnny has done anymore because grandmama just love him. Johnny, your grades are bad. Come here, baby. I love you. Johnny, you acting up in school? Come here, baby. I love you. It's funny because when Johnny's with grandma, he'll never act crazy. When Johnny with grandma, he does his homework. Why? It's a tangible response of actual love. That's, we all know people, maybe that's you, that was me, we all know people like that. That, that non-manipulative, non-I'm-looking-for-a-return-on-this-investment love tends to transform the person who's the recipient of it. And it's the same thing, beloved, when you've been baptized with Christ. You've been changed. You've been transformed. You have a desire now to honor Jesus with all of you. Why? Give me, give me a hit, Jim. Because Galatians 3, 26, 27 for through faith, through our belief, through our trust in Jesus, we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. And God is a good father, and he will always clothe his children. Not with the newest J's, he'll clothe you with godliness over time. You've all been transformed, and we are all being transformed from the inside out. And the Spirit's work of transform, His transformative work in us is an equal opportunity redeemer, an equal opportunity transformer. Look at the next passage. Jim, hit me. Look what Paul says next in his passage. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs, according to to the promise. Now, beloved, remember the context. These false teachers are trying to convince these churches in Galatia that unless you convert unto Judaism and you ascribe to, to circumcision and obeying the law and basically going under Jewish rule, you cannot be saved. But in the economy of God, both Jew and Gentile alike stand on faith in Jesus alone to be made right with God. Notice how, how diametrically opposed this is in their context. Jew and Greek, beloved, they had no dealings. Jews and Greeks had beef. But he says, no, in the economy of God, there is no Jew and is no Greek. Now, quickly, this doesn't mean that there's no such thing as somebody who's Jewish and there's such a person that's somebody who's... You don't lose that designation. Doesn't mean that there's no longer a person who's a slave and there's no longer a person who's free. Beloved, you didn't stop being a man, despite what pop culture might tell you. You didn't stop being a female. No. Beloved, he didn't come to eradicate the distinctions. He came to eradicate the division. 
That's what the work of the cross does. You maintain your distinction, and your distinction in many ways, in, in, in multiple ways, are beautiful, not in all ways. Slave ain't beautiful. I don't care how you slice that. I don't care if John, biblical slave, transatlantic slave, I don't care. Slave ain't beautiful. I wish that person had the means to be on their own, but oftentimes they don't. And a lot of times in biblical days, they would sell themselves into that kind of bondage in order to make it ends meet. I wish they had the end so they did meet, so they didn't have to do that, but be that as it may. There's no more beef now between Jew and Greek, uh, slave and free, male, female. Remember, remember ladies, especially during this time in a, in, a, in a patriarchal time, oftentimes women's, the testimony of a woman wasn't even admissible at court. You couldn't even put it in court. If, if a woman was the first one to say it, but like, all right, so tell me when you got a real witness. Y'all didn't know that? That's crazy. That's one of the things that makes the gospel so believable. Who's the first, test, who's the first person to testify to the resurrection of Jesus? Women! If they was telling lies, they'd be like, nah, Peter was the first one. They're telling truth. It was the ladies that seen them. Knowing that they're going to go to a court of law and they're going to be like, she said it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the one who saw it. And then they seen it, then they seen it, and then these dudes seen it. The work of Christ doesn't take away our distinctions, beloved. It takes away our divisions and allows us to battle as a family because he has created us and made us into one. Remember what the text said? You are now all one in Christ Jesus. Beloved, do this. I never do this. Just look around. Just, 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 just look around. Don't say nothing. You don't say nothing. Don't even smile awkwardly. Just look. Just look. Just look. Just, just go ahead and gaze. If, if that person who you looked at is a believer in Christ Jesus, they are in the economy of God, they are closer to you than your biological family. That is your brother, that is your sister in the faith. But if we don't grasp the reality and the concept of family, we won't fight like family. We'll fight like family. Y'all see that? Y'all know that family members that you don't want there? That's how you'll treat one another. Until we grasp the reality that though we look different, we sound different, we act different, we have different political ideologies, beloved, we are one body in Christ. That'll allow us to give the benefit of the doubt when somebody has done something to you. Man, that's my, that's my brother, that's my sister. I know she wouldn't, let me just call and find out because I know that. Instead of, I can't believe they did that to me. That's the reaction. We got to stop the Twitter wars. And we do that with one another. Peter learned this very truth, that those who have faith in Christ Jesus are his beloved family, not knowing, I mean, uh, not, not, um, not contingent on their ethnic origin. He learned that very truth. Peter, the, the, they call it the big apostle. He wasn't. They call it the foot-shaped mouth apostle. But anyway, give me that Acts passage. While Peter was still speaking, they say that because he put his foot in his mouth. If y'all wonder where that come from, because he always says things and then it's like, I will die for you, Lord. And then he's like, ah, yeah, that kind of thing. That's what you need. Put your foot in your mouth, okay? Not, I'm not trying to disrespect Peter. I'm saying that's what it is. While Peter was still speaking these words, this is him giving a testimony. It says, the Holy Spirit came down on all those, that's it, that's it, where my highlighter? On all those who heard the message. Now we got to see who's hearing the message. Holy Spirit coming down on everybody, right? Look at verse, 20, verse 45. The circumcised believers, now we have, we, have, we have some designations now. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. 
That word Gentiles, ethnos, a different people, not Hellenustos. Not, not Jews who were Hellenized or Greekified by the expansion of Alexander the Great's kingdom. It's those who are of a completely different lineage and background. That's why they're amazed. Whoa, the spirit's falling on them? That's, that's what they're saying. Don't read it like they were surprised. No, they're like, yo, wait, you see that? That's how, that's the reaction. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that's the reaction. Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. They're declaring the, the greatness of the God whom these circumcised Jews have been, been trying to worship. And they're saying, yo, they're worshiping my, hold up. There's some cross-contamination happening as far as they can see. Peter responded in verse 47. Look what he said. Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized. Beloved, that's the two baptisms we're talking about too. Baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Anyway, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He says, then they, they asked him to stay a few days. Give me the next one. The apostles and the brothers, now this is Peter retelling the story, okay? The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea, excuse me, heard uh, that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Y'all see the, y'all feel the disdain? Y'all did that? We don't, we don't deal with them. Remember when Paul, when Paul just said, no distinction between Jew and Greek? What are they doing? Showing, the, showing the, the, the dirt of their heart. Distinction. You went to them? Verse 4. Peter began to explain to them step by step. He says, I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came down, and it came to me. Verse 6. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, the, the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. Those are, you know, there's a distinction between animals that chew the cud. But, you know, they don't eat these the animals. They don't touch these animals. Okay, give me the next one. But the voice is telling them to kill and eat. Look at Peter's response. Good Jew. Okay, so it's a right response, Peter. Nah, Lord, uh-uh. You told me I ain't supposed to eat that stuff. I ain't eating that. I ain't disobeying you, God. Nah. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered him from heaven a second time. What God has made clean, you must not call impure. Verse 10. Now, this happened three times. Now, beloved, this is God getting something through a thick skull. This happened three times. We read that over like, no, it happened again, then it happened again, then it happened again, okay? Peter got to get something here, and so do we. I lost my face. Where am I at? It's happened three times. There you go. It's happened three times. And everything was drawn up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. Just ride with them. These six brothers also accompanied me. Who? These, these Jewish circumcised believers, right? They, came, they rolled with me too. And we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who was also named Peter. 
He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. This is a Gentile household. Now, who? <laughs> you see stuff. No, sir. Speak the message by which you will be, your own household will be saved. He didn't say speak the message by which you will go and get circumcised and then you will be saved. He said they're going to speak a message, you'll believe, and you will be saved. That is, it's missing a piece unless you, you understand that. Verse 15, as I began to speak, what happened? The Holy Spirit came down on them. Not us, them. Just as on us at the beginning. See the distinction? This is so dope. Verse 16, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said to me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There goes your two baptisms again. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave us, so, so, so if he gave the Gentiles the same gift he gave to the believing Jews, when we, what? Believed in who? The Lord Jesus. How could I possibly hinder God? How could I get in the way of what God is doing? When they heard this, they became silent. All the, the people who were criticizing him became silent. Then they glorified God. And they said, so then God has given repentance resulting in life, even for the Gentiles. Beloved, when you look around this room and you see us and them, there's a mistake being made. When you look around this room, only one of those are true. We're all us. We're all us. And if we don't act like us, we will be just like those false brothers who were critiquing and criticizing Peter in the vision that God has given him unto whether or not those who have faith in Jesus yet are not the same as us can be categorized as us. This is why even here at Pillar Church, we try to do things that get you together. Because if you're not together, you won't be like family. And if you're not like family, you won't fight like family. This is why there's DGs. This is why there's love feasts. This is why there's monthly gatherings. This is why we have members of the church who's always trying to get somebody at their house. Constantly. Hey, y'all, we having something. Y'all want to come over? Hey, y'all, we having something. Y'all want to come over? Beloved, I bid you go. Go. Don't do it, us, them. Go. Enjoy. Lest you have something hindering you, lest you have plans and situations, I understand that. I've always got something I'm going to run into. But go. Be the family of God that God has died to make you. In God's sight, you are closer to your Christian brethren than you are your biological family. And family doesn't abandon one another. Family doesn't just let family struggle alone. Family doesn't hide their hardships from other family members. Family will hang out with other family members, cry with other family members, and share with other family members confidentially, knowing that their issues will not be spread. Family will always lead family to Jesus during times of trouble and grief. Beloved, I'm charging you, whether you're a member of Pillar Church or a regular attender, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this applies to you. You have to be the family that God has died to make you. These false teachers in Galatia were creating divisions by highlighting our distinctions. But when Jesus died on the cross, he highlighted our distinctions in order to bring unity and eradicate the division. He said he had likened us to a body. 
He said, yes, you're a finger and you're a toe. Yes, you're an elbow and you're a knee. Yes, you're a thigh and you're, you're, you're a hand. Yes, you're all different. But unless you are together, this thing will never walk. So yes, you're different. It doesn't mean you beef. It means you work together. When you work together, my purposes are accomplished. Beloved, if you have an ounce of you that wants to do something in this city that is beyond you, we don't do it alone. You got to do it as a united front. If any of you are struggling, you're struggling alone, you'll never get through your struggles that way. You got to do it as a united front. You just have to. You tried it by yourself. Did it work? Never does. We keep doing it. What's the glue that binds us together? It's the promise that God made to Abraham and his seed. That all the nations will be blessed through his seed, who is Christ Jesus. And everybody who has faith in Jesus changes in their status from God's creation to God's beloved sons and daughters by faith. And as sons and daughters, we are heirs by faith, recipients of the good news. Beloved, if you place your faith in Jesus, you are God's people. More than that, you are God's children. And these are your brothers and sisters. No distinction between you. And let no one tell you different. Let's ride together. Hopefully we don't die together. (laughs) Hopefully we live together. But let's ride together. And beloved, I don't mean that like as a cute thing. I mean like for real, come out your comfort zone. Say hi to somebody that you don't know well. Exchange a number before you leave. Communicate with people who you don't normally communicate with. I ain't just saying this so you go home, oh yeah, we should do that. No, do that. Like, don't leave here and not do that. Do that so that we could fight like a family. And then maybe, then maybe God will entrust us in such a way where we begin to really make waves in this place for his glory. There's more. Anyway, Lord, thank you for, thank you for that passage. Um, the passage is rich. There's more in the passage that uh, needs to be said, Lord. I'll leave that to you until another day. But I pray that we would understand this reality, that we are sons and daughters and that we are heirs according to the promise. And just like the Church of Galatia, you called them to unity. You called them to, to love that is not transactional in nature, but is sacrificial in nature. And as a result, Lord, we know through history that great things happened in the, in the region of Galatia. And I believe that those things have happened because the people of God in that area unified for a time. And I pray that you would do the same thing for us, that we would not allow the false teachers in our communities to convince us that we are not a unified people because of our heritage, or our background, that they would read the scriptures and be convicted of the truth of the book of Galatians that would show them that all who have faith in Jesus minus works are saved and unified as the sons and daughters of God. And that we would move on that strength and that we would see the united people of God transform a community by your glory outside of our own doing and that your name will be remembered as a result. Lord Jesus, take all the glory and be glorified in all these things. I pray that you would bless our mothers, bless our women, 
uh, and we thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word. I pray that it hit where it needed to hit. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.